This is the Bible in one year, day 44. God works for your good. Lord Radstock was staying in a hotel in Norway in the mid-19th century. He heard a little child playing the piano downstairs in the hallway. She was making a terrible noise, plink, plonk, plink. It was driving him mad. A man came and sat beside her and began playing alongside her, filling in the gaps. The result was the most beautiful music. He later discovered that the man playing alongside was the girl's father, Alexander Borodin, composer of the opera Prince Igor. God calls you into a relationship that involves cooperation with him. The Christian faith is primarily about what has been done for you by God in Christ. However, we are not mere spectators. You are called to respond. God involves you in his plans. God comes and sits alongside you and in all things works for the good. He takes our plink, plonk, plink and make something beautiful out of our lives. Proverbs 4 My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. Walk wisely. You have a part to play in responding to God's call staying on his paths, living wisely, and thereby making something beautiful out of your life. In this passage, we see four areas in particular that you need to watch if you want to enjoy victory over temptation. First, what you think about. You can choose what you think about. The life you lead will flow from your heart. Above all else, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. You are to fill your heart with good things especially the words of God. They bring life and health. Think about things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent or praiseworthy. Second, what you say. Your words are powerful. Use them carefully. Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. It's said that the words of the tongue should have three gatekeepers. Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Third, what you look at. Guard your eyes. Be careful what you look at, especially in this age of TV and Internet. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Jesus warned that if you look at the wrong things, your whole body will be full of darkness. But he also said, if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. Fourth, where you go. You will avoid a lot of temptation if you're careful about where you go. Make level paths for your feet. Keep your foot from evil. The writer of Hebrews quotes this verse. He urges, run with perseverance the race marked out for you with your eyes fixed on Jesus. Make level paths for your feet. Lord, put a watch over my tongue and a guard over my heart. Help me to walk wisely today. 
New Testament, Matthew 27. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Many women were there, watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Give generously. Supremely, through the cross and resurrection of Jesus, God works for your good. Jesus experienced appalling suffering and real separation from God in order that you could enjoy the presence of God. Jesus was abandoned by the religious leaders, by his own family, by the crowds, by his disciples. And finally, Jesus groaned out of the depth, crying loudly, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Jesus' words of agony express a real sense of alienation from God. He's quoting from Psalm 22, 
verse 1, which is a cry of suffering, lament, and alienation from God. In the book of Job, we saw how Scripture engages with the difficulties and complexities of human suffering. At the cross, though, we see God's ultimate answer to our suffering. He chooses to enter into it and take it upon himself. John Stott reflects on suffering and the cross. I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to it? Yet Jesus' embrace of our suffering on the cross goes beyond mere solidarity. His words reflect how he came to give his life as a ransom for many. He died so that you could go free. Jesus was abandoned so that you and I might be accepted by God. We see the reality of this acceptance by what happens at the moment of Jesus' death. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The symbolism of this is explained in the book of Hebrews. The curtain separated the people from the most holy place, that is the presence of God. Now through Jesus, you can experience God's presence and an intimate friendship with him. Even the very detail that the curtain was torn from the top to the bottom reminds us that it was the work of God, not of humans that enabled your acceptance into God's presence. You can know God's acceptance and presence because of Jesus' abandonment and suffering. God was working for your good. Even at the moment God acted decisively in human history through the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he included human beings in his plans. He used a rich man called Joseph of Arimathea, who'd become a disciple of Jesus, to buy the tomb where Jesus was to be buried and then resurrected. What matters is not so much whether you are rich or poor, but how you respond to what Jesus has done for you and what you do with what you have. Joseph gave generously, and God made something beautiful out of his life that has been remembered for all time. Lord, thank you that you went through all this for me. Thank you that not only do you forgive me, but you also allow me to be part of your plans. Old Testament, Exodus 13 and 14. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. Then Moses said to the people, Commemorate this day the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. Eat nothing containing yeast. Today, in the month of Aviv, you are leaving. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Hivites, and Jebusites, the land he swore to your ancestors to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you are to observe this ceremony in this month. For seven days eat bread made without yeast, and on the seventh day hold a festival to the Lord. Eat unleavened bread during those seven days. Nothing with yeast in it is to be seen among you, nor shall any yeast be seen anywhere within your borders. On that day tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that this law of the Lord is to be on your lips. 
for the Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. You must keep this ordinance at the appointed time, year after year. After the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and gives it to you, as he promised on oath to you and your ancestors, you are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your son. In the days to come when your son asks you, What does this mean? Say to him, With a mighty hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord, the first male offspring of every womb, and redeem each of my firstborn sons. And it will be like a sign on your hand, and a symbol on your forehead, that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, If they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road towards the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Exodus chapter 14 Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and camp near Pihahiroth, between Migdol and the sea. They are to camp by the sea, directly opposite Beelazivon. Pharaoh will think, The Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion hemmed in by the desert, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with them. He took six hundred of the best chariots, along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pihahiroth, opposite Baal Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up 
and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other, so neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, Let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing towards it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses his servant. Trust totally. God's deliverance through Jesus is foreshadowed in the Old Testament. As God opened the way into his presence through the tearing of the curtain 
so God opened a way through the sea by the parting of the waters. All the way through we see God's initiative in delivering his people out of Egypt. The Lord brought you out. Tell your children, I do this because of what the Lord did for me. The Lord brings you into the land. With a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. God led his people all the way, although interestingly, he didn't take them the shortest route. Sometimes, instead of taking us the easy way, God takes us a longer and more difficult way to prepare us for the battles ahead. Even though they were now out of Egypt, they were going to have to fight one battle after another. They needed to learn to rely totally on God's strength and guidance. He guided them constantly in a pillar of cloud by day and by a pillar of fire by night. This is what we need individually and as the community of the people of God, his constant guidance. Sometimes we get into situations where there seems to be no way out. The Egyptians were behind them and the sea was in front of them. They were exceedingly frightened. Yet Moses totally trusted in God to deliver them. He said, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. I often come back to these verses when I find myself in a situation where I cannot, humanly speaking, see a way out. Moses had to play his part. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea. God's part was rather harder. He divided the waters. When we pray, for example, for someone to be filled with the Holy Spirit, God uses us. You have to stretch out your hands and pray. But God fills people with his Spirit. He does the hard part. Nevertheless, he involves you in his plans. God's part was to bring rescue and salvation. The Lord saved Israel. Your part is to trust God. The people put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. God is working for your good. He wants you to cooperate with him. This is the way that he's designed his creation, whether it's in the natural world, where we plant and God gives the growth, or in the kingdom of God, where God brings about his kingdom, yet you have a part to play. Lord, thank you that in all things you work for my good, and that you give me a role to play. Please take my plink, plonk, plink and turn it into something beautiful. Pippa adds, In Matthew 27, verse 52, it said, The tombs broke open and the bodies of holy people who had died were raised to life. And after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. This must have given everybody a fright. And I've always wondered, what happened to them then? Did they wander and go back into the tombs? It was a sign that something extraordinary had happened that day.